0: It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy focus, discipline, and resilience. The Plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience. A sleek, slick, custom-designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean filtered circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once in a while action. Get the Plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit Visit thecoldplunge.com to learn all about the sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new rebounder mini trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com. And you can't lose with their generous 30 day money back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com. The Be rad Podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili Technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place and Organifi, whole food, organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. Most people do not make the commitment to prepare for whatever the big challenging goal is that we're talking about. We burn around the same number of calories every day, whether or not we exercise. How does taking a nap affect your circadian rhythm? Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New optimal, NU optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Meta Memory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress, very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Meta Drive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail in easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge i can get especially for cognition so guess what let's avoid that sugary junk food let's get enough sleep take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost so go visit newoptimal.com n-u-o-p-t-i-m-a-l and enter the code brad 30 to get 30 percent discount when you try it newoptimal.com for way more details Hello, my friends. It's time, at long last, for some listener Q and A. Thank you so much for writing the wonderful emails and comments on YouTube videos, and we are going to hit it hard with lots of fun stuff, a wide range of topics, man. Yes, the great Usain Bolt, retired sprinter, is now putting out music. He's got a new compilation. So we're going to start off with a little clockwork here. This is called Stop It. Okay, time to get into business. First, leading off with an incredible success story from longtime listener John Staley down in La Jolla. He has done some magnificent athletic feats on a regular basis. And 2021 was all about the rim-to-rim-to-rim to rim to rim epic hike in the Grand Canyon. That's starting in the South Rim, going down to the bottom, crossing over the little bridge, hitting the North Rim, high five in the ranger at the ranger station, and then turning around and heading home in a single day. It's 46 miles with 11,000 feet of vertical gain. He started at three in the morning, went 16 hours, and arrived safely back to the South Rim just as the sleet and snow were appearing. And that's going to be important a bit later. Later in the story uh, because he was telling me about the entire experience uh, with a great message that says, Uh, what's the secret? It's preparation followed by preparation followed by preparation. Yes, a little bit of grit and mental fortitude helps when you're conquering these big challenges, but most people do not make the commitment to prepare for whatever the big challenging goal is that we're talking about. And we see these mass participation events that are so popular, uh, marathon, ultra marathon, triathlon, and it seems to be that uh, there's a lot of suffering and struggling that's not really the intended uh, uh- not really intended by the presentation of the event. Of course, these events are tough and there's something to endure and have a great sense of accomplishment when you finish. But I think what John and I were talking about is the uh, tremendous lack of preparation by so many people that adds another degree of suffering that's really not supposed to be. So when we take on these big challenges, the ideal way is to absolutely enjoy and appreciate and respect the process of preparation such that each preparation. Workout is super fun and valuable. And hey, I know we're preparing for a destination, but it's not all about the big goal event. It's all about going along the way and living that healthy lifestyle with that goal in mind, which is so important. And that's kind of the essence of my main message pursuing peak performance with passion throughout life. So always having something that gets you up, gets you focused, gets you on edge, a little bit of nervous energy going on the big event day, but also making sure that. That you're on the path, you're walking the right path as you prepare. Um, so I like John's quote, a little bit of grit and mental fortitude helps. But if that's all you have in your backpack, and you're trying to cross through the Grand Canyon, uh, it might not always end well. Uh, John and his group were amused when they were finishing near dark as sleet and snow were arriving. Remember the, the south rims up over 7,000 feet, the north rims up over 8,000 feet, so this is no funny business. We were amused to notice droves of headlamps far down in the canyon, continuing their hike in the dark at freezing temperatures. So, good on ya, all those people that uh, thought to bring a headlamp just in case they don't finish by dark, but what the heck are you doing down there uh, with your timing and your checkpoints such that you decided to get stuck in the Grand Canyon uh, with the the sleet and snow. And this has become uh, an even more prominent issue to ponder for anyone interested in uh, peak performance and these great challenges that occur uh, because real uh, crazy shit is going down. You might have heard about the tragic deaths that occurred on Mount Everest in 2019 where 10 people died due to this massive traffic jam near the summit when they had so many people trying for the summit on that nice uh, window of clear weather, right? So there's various different expeditions, exhibitions, there's numerous different expeditions, that are calculating and preparing and going up and down and stocking supplies. And then when the weather comes, it's like, okay, group number 17 is going for it today, as is group number 16, 15, 14, 13. And then the traffic jam occurs. If you uh, Google images for uh, Mount Everest traffic jam, you will be absolutely stunned to see uh, what's going on up there on the top on this day. And so what happens when you're spending a lot of time in the quote unquote death zone, as the mountaineers call it, when you're up above 20, 25,000 feet, um, you have a narrow window of time until the brain stops working well and starts hemorrhaging and you got to get your butt down if you want to live. So back to John's original comment about preparation. Uh, always the goal should be uh, with the, um, the Mount Everest as a great metaphor. The goal is not to climb Mount Everest. It's to climb it and get down safely. Oh, yes, that's right. The other part of the goal. Okay, so uh, that was a bad deal. There's also uh, recent news in... Uh, spring 2021, about an ultramarathon race in China where over 20 people died competing in the event I don't think anything near that has ever happened uh, in organized ultramarathon running history. So this is absolutely tragic. And what happened was uh, they headed out on narrow single track trails, very difficult to access by um, a four-wheel drive rescue vehicle or what have you. Uh, And they went to increasingly higher altitudes. And a lot of these people are starting the event, wearing their shorts and their singlet and their little fanny pack and have no conception of what might happen if the temperature were, were to drop from uh, 50 degrees to 25, which is obviously very easy to happen uh, when you're out there venturing into the high country. So uh, some people apparently falled off the narrow single track trail, were unable to be uh, rescued in due time, and uh, you know got hypothermic and didn't make it. So... Yeah. If you're out there pushing the limits and looking at target events, let's focus on the preparation. Yeah. So what did John Staley do in preparation for this Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim? A marathon distance hike on 10 out of 12 weekends leading up to the trip to Arizona. Uh, He would do hilly loops in La Jolla going up to, what is it called? Mount Soledad, I think. You know, pretty good vertical climb and then back down and then back up. So making uh, the best use of his own natural environment. He couldn't go and train in the Grand Canyon every weekend, but he did his preparation work and was confident that he could go tackle it. Uh, I'm feeling confident about his abilities too. That's why I've agreed to join him. And we're going to try the world famous Cactus to Clouds Trail in Palm Springs, California. It's rated as the single most difficult hike in the United States, maybe the world, with an elevation gain of nearly 8,000 feet in the first eight miles. Have you ever been on a trail that uh, ascends 1,000 feet in a mile? That is basically going straight up or on the steepest switchbacks you can ever imagine nonstop for eight miles. Look it up uh, on the internet. It's pretty fantastic. I don't know if I can make it, uh, but I'm going to could do my best and be uh, as prepared as possible and then uh, ride the tram down after you finish the the whole thing of uh, uh, 14 miles going up to Mount San Jacinto and then back to the famous Palm Springs aerial tramway. Here's some more comments. Pushing the body through daunting athletic challenges is super cool and fantastic. It's the essence of living a rich and meaningful life, but this idea has been distorted into pushing your sorry ass, poorly prepared body to its limit. That's not what it's all about, people. Remember the great Roger Bannister, uh, the first person to break four minutes in the mile. He wrote a great autobiography way back in the 1950s after he retired from running at the tender age of 24 to pursue a career in medicine. And a whole bunch of uh, wonderful quotes that I uh, seem to remember and carry with me. One of them, he said, was, struggle gives meaning and richness to life. What he's talking about is the struggle to pursue the human limit. Uh, they believe that running a sub-four-minute mile was impossible for the human at that time. They, some of the medical experts of the day uh, contended that the heart might explode if someone tried to. And that's all fun stuff for Roger Bannister and his uh, great achievement. Uh, but when you, when you struggle in an appropriate manner, Oh boy, that's where all the magic happens. Uh, But let's not confuse that to struggling with uh, (laughs) distracting emails and text messages while you're trying to struggle through uh, achieving something wonderful with your uh, peak contribution and cognitive function. All right, so uh, be prepared. And today, especially, um, we have this social media phenomenon, this bucket list phenomenon where people are just going for the winning shot, right? They're trying to get to the top, take a picture holding the Amer- waving the American flag at the top of Mount Everest or whatever. All those people on the traffic jam had that pretty uh, compelling goal of getting up there and largely to uh, show everyone else back home when they uh, come and do their slideshow uh, with the amazing thing that they did. Uh, but that was probably a bad idea. I don't know. Maybe some people uh, looked out of their tent that morning and said, gee, there's a lot of people. I know the weather's great, but I don't think I'm going to do it. Okay, before we let go of this one, uh, here's some stats to ponder. Grand Canyon National Park, right? 134 deaths in the last 10 years. Yosemite National Park, 126 deaths in the last 10 years. Uh, my favorite Darwin Award for the Yosemite one uh, was a someone who was hiking up the very uh, well-traveled Yosemite Falls trail that's uh, paved, right? So it's real tourist. It's nothing uh, dangerous or, or, or daunting. Uh, but the mist of the falls was spraying and the person was wearing rubber flip-flops to hike the trail, slipped and fell and died. Okay, so... Uh, on to the next one. And yes, we're getting nice comments on the YouTube video. So this is a good time to plug the uh, b B-Rad, Brad Turns YouTube channel. Uh, there's a lot of great content there, including uh, videos of the podcast. So if you like to... Uh, Watch us. A lot of it's uh, Zoom, right, with uh, remote because of uh, COVID. Uh, in-person podcasts coming back strong, I'm sure in 2021 and beyond. I love to connect with my guests in person, but uh, we're doing the best we can. So you can see video versions of many of the podcasts. And there's also, if you scroll down, there's a nice link to uh, Primal Fitness playlist, and that's where I have all these cool videos of drills and skills and micro workouts and uh, nice short duration videos that can give you some actionable tips to put in some fun workouts and uh, drills and mobility, flexibility stretches into daily life. So that's the YouTube plug. And uh, this person, Nema. Uh, wrote a question in on YouTube uh, regarding uh, The Breather Show, uh, talking about their circadian rhythm and some of the insights from Dr. Jack Cruz, who wrote a great article uh, about the going through a 24-hour clock and talking about the various hormonal and circadian processes that are happening, right? Remember that show? Go listen to it. 12 to 3 a.m. is the peak time for the restorative hormones like human growth hormone to come out to play and work its wonders in the body. So... Uh, we know people have uh, assorted struggles and peculiarities with their sleep habits, but he contends that from midnight to 3 a.m., you absolutely positively want to be in the pitch dark asleep and letting those hormones work their wonders. Uh, So Nima asks, how does taking a nap affect your circadian rhythm? Mm, Is it going to mess up my sleep later that night, as many people think? I reference a great book from Dr. Sarah Mednick, one of the uh, leading sleep researchers out of UC Riverside. Uh, Her book is called Take a Nap, Change Your Life. And she talks about how The afternoon nap is a wonderful practice. We have a natural dip in our circadian function anyway in the afternoon. And even if you get down for a brief nap, you can refresh the sodium-potassium pumps that fire the neurons in the brain in about 20 minutes. So we use that expression, I'm feeling fried right now. This is actually a literal truth because when the sodium potassium pumps get depleted from heavy duty brain function and all the distractibility and other challenges that we put on the brain that are uh, novel these days and uh, possibly not very healthy versus uh, focusing on one important task at a time in a more methodical and structured manner. But anyway, when you get fried one way or the other, the electrical circuitry, that is firing those neurons, called the sodium potassium pumps, are depleted. And so really the electrical circuitry is truly, literally fried. So you have a fried brain, you lay down, you allow the restorative powers to come through. And yes, I hear from a lot of people that contend that they're not good at napping. They can't do it. They've tried. It doesn't work. So it's very likely seems to be a skill that you have to develop. And that would entail getting into an appropriate space, uh, ideally in the dark, or at least with a eye mask, a blindfold on, if you're in your car in the parking lot or on a quiet bench in the corner of the park. But if you can get to a dark area and a lot of people have more freedom and flexibility now because uh, more home-based working situations, which is great news for the nappers of the world. Uh, But when you need a nap, when you feel that loss of cognitive power, uh, especially feeling more distracted and your willpower is being drained, you're clicking over on YouTube instead of staying focused, that's a very good indication that a nap would do you wonders and wake up feeling refreshed and energized. Uh, As you probably know from listening to the show, I consider myself a world-class napper. I developed the ability way back in the day when I was uh, training for triathlons full-time and racing on the circuit. And so everything was calibrated toward being completely rested and energized for the important workouts and recovering as fast as possible. So I had a really reliable two-hour nap every afternoon. And that was on the heels of a 10 hour sleeping period every night. So I say that during that nine years of time when I was racing on the circuit, I was asleep for half of it. <laughs> <laughs> Not so when the next phase of life came in and raising children and having interrupted sleep of much less duration. But hey, you do the best you can. And when you're an athlete and you know really pushing the limits, you're going to need more sleep. I can totally relate, even these days, to uh, increased need for sleep as training load increases. Uh, but the napping ability. It takes a little work and practice and devotion, but if you can uh, use something like uh, Soothing Sounds, I have a great app called Rainmaker Pro uh, for the iOS. Hopefully it's uh, available or something similar where you can play the raindrops. And I'm so used to the raindrops that when I push the button and play the raindrops, it really is a strong cue for my brain to go down and take a nap. So in most cases when I'm napping, I actually do fall asleep. And it's usually between 20- And 40 minutes and I wake up feeling like it's morning. It just feels fantastic. Now, uh, in Dr. Mednick's book, she details that there's different kinds of naps. Uh, You emphasize different uh, waves, cycles of sleep, depending on your needs. Your body is really good at makeup, making up where your sleep deficiencies are. Um, And you've listened to a couple recent shows on that topic of sleep that will go into much more detail. But when you're deficient on REM sleep or you're deficient on deep sleep, your nap may emphasize. Uh, one or the other. Let's say you're deficient on both and you might get a little bit of both or something. Uh, But I notice sometimes I wake up from the afternoon nap. Usually my napping is in the same uh, time block of let's say uh, 2 to 4 p.m. is when I might start a nap. And if I'm deficient on deep sleep, I will go right into deep sleep and wake up feeling groggy. And a lot of people think that Uh, sensation is unpleasant. It does take a while to get going. You might be sitting in bed and (laughs) grabbing your phone and doing text messages before you jump out of bed, refreshed and energized. And other times when I'm deficient on REM sleep, I will notice that the nap is more... Uh, devoted to maybe some passing dreams or, uh, you know, the rapid eye movement and the dreaming. It's not a deep sleep. If someone came into the room and whispered, hey, are you awake? I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, now I am. You know what I mean? So it's different forms. And your body does a great job uh, going right into what you need. And Dr. Mechnik makes a great point in the book that even for insomniacs, even for people that have difficulty falling asleep at night, a nap can be helpful and certainly not detrimental. Uh, especially, let's take the example of the insomniac. If you uh, you know avoid that nap and try to hang in there so that you'll be super tired that night, oftentimes you can turn into kind of zombie mode. I think all of us can relate uh, when it comes to jet lag, where you're really feeling out of sorts and your sleep cycles are all off and you're staggering around, you don't, you don't feel great, and then you try to go to sleep and you still can't even go to sleep, even though you're exhausted, that's what we don't want to get into is that completely fried mode. So if you take an appropriate nap in the afternoon, it may even help with your insomnia. Incredible. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, it, there's no data that says napping will interfere with evening sleep. Uh, but you go into pop internet health content and almost every article will mention something like that in passing as if it's a given, like watch out for napping too late in the afternoon or you'll mess up your evening sleep. Okay, sometimes that is true uh, because you have this uh, thing called sleep debt. That occurs, or starts to accumulate, just like regular debt with your credit card, right? It starts to accumulate the moment you wake up. So let's say your sleep debt is at zero when you wake up uh, bright and shiny in the morning, and after a couple hours, there's very little sleep debt, right? But it accumulates, accumulates, and then in the evening time, uh, ideally at the appropriate bedtime, your sleep debt's going to be huge, and you're going to fall asleep and have a good night's sleep. Uh, now. If you haven't had uh, uh, ideal sleep habits leading up to uh, a certain day, let's say it's the you know f- Friday, and uh, the previous ten days included travel, included staying up late, and you're kind of carrying forward a little bit of sleep debt, uh, that's where naps come in really nicely to knock out some of that sleep debt. You know, pay pay the bank back to get back to that uh, big goal of getting to even. And that's what my guest, Jeff Kahn, did a great job on our podcast, emphasizing and simplifying this whole concept about sleep and sleep tracking. It's just all about uh, managing, minimizing your sleep debt. So if you need eight hours per night or whatever, like most people, and you can look at a scoreboard, a chart of the previous month or the previous week, and you only got seven this night and you only got six and a half that night, then you got eight, then you got eight, then you got seven, you're accumulating a sleep debt of an hour here, an hour there, and it's adding up to three hours or what have you. And when sleep debt gets out of hand, that's when you're going to be having a tremendous, phenomenal decline in cognitive and physical function and going to really be needing those naps. So if you, let's say, missed out on a half an hour of ideal sleep the previous night, then you go drop into your nap in the afternoon, and then your sleep debt is at zero, and you feel fantastic. Uh, so I was going back to making that point of uh, worrying about your nap messing up your evening sleep. And the only time that might be relevant is if you go and slam out at a magnificent afternoon nap of an hour and a half, uh, possibly due to jet lag or whatever reason, and then your sleep debt is at zero and you might even uh, have a little bit of trouble falling asleep that night. But I would certainly uh, love to just focus on minimizing sleep debt. And if you do get a chance to to crash out in the afternoon, take it and wake up naturally. Uh, my sister, Dr. Kate, who is a physician and oftentimes delivering babies in the middle of the night, will accumulate sleep debt during a busy week at the hospital. And then, perform epic weekend afternoon naps of 2 or 3 hours and yeah whatever works i mean maybe it's ideal to say that we go to bed at 10 p.m. every night and wake up at 7:15 and we're perfect and everything's perfect but of course uh, that doesn't happen for too many people in the modern world so imagining this concept of managing your sleep debt catching up when necessary with a nap, knowing that you're going to refresh those sodium-potassium pumps in as little as 20 minutes and have a fantastic refreshing experience, that is super awesome. Uh, So try to develop that skill over time if you're a little frustrated at first where you're lying there and you can't fall asleep and you feel like all the things you need to do later in the afternoon, you have to discipline your mind to turn things off, uh, put that eye mask on, turn on some music, and go to town with a rest period. And if you don't fall asleep, that's fine too. There's a lot of research showing that you just uh, lower the brain activity for 20 minutes and then step back into the gauntlet of whatever it is, your work situation or picking up the kids at preschool and on we go. But at least you had that rest period. That was a big, long, fat answer for one simple question when Nima said, does taking a nap affect your circadian rhythm? Um, Here comes another really fantastic question uh, that opens up a big giant can of worms that I actually have been thinking about a lot recently. Um, And Brad Gant says, how does Rob Wolf's assessment that you mentioned on the podcast, and that was the epic one-liner when Rob Wolf said, Uh, if you want to live longer, lift more weights, and eat more protein. How does Rob Wolf's assessment there jive with what you're saying in the fabulous new book release, Two Meals a Day? Uh, So fortunately, (laughs) Mark and I are high-fiving because Two Meals a Day fits in pretty well with some emerging research and uh, nuances that are refining the Template message of let's say the ancestral health movement or the healthy living fitness eating movement. Uh, I'm especially referencing uh, the work of Dr. Herman Ponser, my two-time guest on the show, author of the sensational new book called Burn, and his uh, life's work, his contention that uh, we burn around the same number of calories every day, whether or not we exercise. Whew, so that is kind of uh, slamming, shattering the foundational. Premises of the fitness industry and the diet weight loss industry, uh, and you know the, the the commentary in two meals a day is not opposed to that. We're talking about the compensation theory and ways that your body uh, kind of works hard behind the scenes to uh, regulate caloric expenditure if you happen to uh, burn too much or do some extreme training patterns. And I think there's an example, uh, a familiar example, repeating in a few books where uh, you imagine the the go-getter who uh, gets up and gets their butt to the gym and onto the bicycle seat for the 6 a.m. spin class and pounds the pedals for 45 minutes and then gets off that bike and maybe heads straight over to uh, the opening of the smoothie bar in the morning to grab a nice sugary uh, beverage on the heels of that uh, difficult and challenging workout. And there's the uh, calorie for calorie. You just broke even there with the medium smoothie and breakfast scone at Jamba Juice versus a very intense 45-minute spin class, Uh, way more detail that I went into on the two shows with Ponser as well as the breather show summarizing those insights. But we have to get out of that mindset of thinking that we can uh, burn exercise calories to mitigate uh, dietary uh, transgressions, okay? So it's pretty much all about making uh, good choices with your meals. And that means A choosing nutritious foods and eliminating the hyperpalatable foods that you're uh, compelled to overeat. And B, uh, not eating as frequently. Uh, Because I don't know about you, when I get myself into the food environment, I have a a great ability to consume a lot of food. It's just there. Uh, I'm going to have another bite if something's good or uh, I'm going to finish my plate, right? We've been socialized to finish our plate instead of eat two thirds of it and say, yeah, I'm kind of full. I'm going to throw the rest in the garbage. And that's all fine and dandy, but when we're surrounded by easy opportunities to consume food, unlike our other gatherer ancestors who had to work really hard and were completely uh, appreciative of all that hard work when they sit down to eat, today we can uh, push a button, get DoorDash to come to the door. And so this constant accessibility to food, uh, now with quarantine, a lot of people have been complaining that they uh, get added the COVID 20 pounds or what have you. Uh, because their environment and their circumstances changed. But, you know, we need to uh, work hard to uh, organize this. And the title of the book, Two Meals a Day, is a really good, simple suggestion to say, look, uh, let's rethink this cultural centerpiece of three meals a day, realizing that it has really no application to human health, that there's no uh, obligation to uh, consume meals uh, at regular checkpoints on the clock, except for when we are immersed into a lifestyle of carbohydrate." dependency, which is the essence of the modern world, a grain-based high-carbohydrate diet uh, prompting those glucose spikes and insulin crashes and uh, prompting the appetite for more food because our primary source of calories is dietary carbohydrates rather than stored body fat. So we want to bring body fat back to center stage. It's called developing metabolic flexibility, the ability to burn a variety of fuel sources based on your needs at any particular time with the emphasis, the centerpiece on being a good fat burner. And then you can... Maintain stable mood, energy, appetite, cognitive function all day long, whether or not you eat regular meals. So the big message in two meals a day is choose the right foods so that you don't have a tendency to overeat. And then secondly, eat meals less frequently. Okay. Uh, Now, Rob Wolf's comment. Rob Wolf's witty comment, if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein. Where does that fit in? Uh, I've been thinking that about thinking about that a lot lately because um, what he means is if we can maintain muscle mass, we 're going to have a huge leg up on our longevity prospects, and this is kind of the essence of aging these days is the loss of muscle mass, loss of balance, loss of organ function we get older and we slow down uh, we 're not as strong we 're not as uh, peppy uh, there's a lot of great research that shows that cognitive abilities go hand in hand with physical, so when we physically decline, it also uh, contributes to cognitive decline and so if we can have this goal of maintaining muscle mass throughout life by putting our body under resistance load, doing explosive exercise, regardless of uh, how old we are, how much we prefer to just climb the stairmaster and go home and proclaim ourselves fit. That is a wonderful longevity goal and also uh, a way to enjoy life better because you're stronger, more resilient. You're not going to break down and be exhausted when you do have a day of high activity. And when you are uh, increasing your Uh, strength training commitment, putting your body under resistance load, uh, and so forth, you're going to need to consume more protein because protein is what helps uh, build and maintain muscle mass. Interestingly, uh, our protein needs increase as we age because we are uh, less efficient, less skilled at synthesizing those amino acids that we consume in the steak and the eggs and the uh, the protein smoothie. We are less efficient at uh, working with that and uh, maintaining muscle mass. So the 23 uh, year old uh, collegiate athlete who's making these big protein smoothies all day long, I'm not going to name any names, my son, uh, he does a very good job drinking that stuff down and maintaining a lot of muscle mass. And then the uh, the elderly who are consuming fewer calories in the diet, right, because they're not as active, and maybe they're doing a good job watching their diet, they have an increased need for protein to make sure that they don't deplete muscle mass. And so that's the um, that's the assignment: is to go looking for uh, more ways to consume protein. If you're consumed about concerned about consuming extra calories when you follow Rob Wolf's edict, hear this now. Hear this. Interesting, uh, Dr. Puntzer. Uh, commented on this when I asked him about it, I believe, in our second show. Uh, Protein has an amazing, uh, they call it a thermic effect. That means that when you consume protein, a lot of the calories that you consume are devoted toward digesting the calories. You get it? So if you consume, let's say, 100 calories of protein, up to 25% of those calories are allocated to digesting the food. So in other words, the Uh, The calorie for calorie, this flawed mentality where we're counting our calories every day and trying to stay under 2,500, because that's what WW used to be called Weight Watchers. Now it's called WW. Someone told us, or some personal trainer, or some app said, this is your limit and this is how you're going to lose weight. That's completely flawed. It's been blown out of the water with uh, the great emerging research. So don't worry about. Uh, overdoing your protein consumption. There's also um, a really nice uh, change of uh, prevailing thinking in the progressive health scene that the dangers of overconsuming consuming protein have been overstated in recent years and your body does just fine. Even if you get more protein than you need uh, on a routine basis, it's probably not anything to worry about unless you're uh, in an extreme category such as sitting on your ass all day and drinking protein smoothies like the aforementioned athlete. Uh, then that's not going to be a good thing. Uh, but we talk about stimulating these growth factors and, uh, the risk of overstimulating uh, mTOR or IGF 1. And now those voices and those messages are really being toned down to the extent that Rob Wolf comes out with the one liner uh, that really hits home for all of us. So try to lift more weights, consume more protein, realize that that protein not only has that high thermic effect where you're going to have a very difficult time over consuming it and getting fat off too much protein, but also protein is highly satiating. I believe it's rated as more satiating than. Fat. Fat is also highly satiating, not so for carbohydrates. So, if you kind of focus on your protein needs as the the starting point of your dietary strategy. And guess what? We've been talking about this since day one, since the primal blueprint uh, was uh, hot off the presses back in 2009. Start with protein. Start shaping your diet with protein. And then let the other stuff sprinkle in there. And if you are an adherent to a low-carbohydrate eating pattern because you feel better cutting that stuff out, hey, maybe you're going to have a higher fat intake, lower carb, but you got to hit those protein levels and make sure that's the, the top priority. Um, what else on this topic? That Because I told you I've been thinking about it a lot. Here's another one. Could it be that we have um, an extremely personal uh, distinction when we're trying to uh, strategize our uh, caloric intake and our macronutrient intake? If you have good body fat levels, you're satisfied. You have good blood work from your uh, blood testing. You don't have disease risk factors. Possibly there's not as much uh, benefit or calling to engage in aggressive fasting, aggressive carbohydrate restriction, uh, aggressive ketogenic eating, which is, you know, the really low carb and even moderating the protein was the uh, typical template message of keto. Uh, maybe these things have uh, vastly less benefit as they might to someone who has metabolic dysfunction, who has excess body fat, who has disease risk factors like high triglycerides and need to take immediate corrective action on the diet, which would include keto, fasting, low carb, things like that. Uh, And so I'm thinking of myself personally, where if you, uh, let's say, uh, take out a little uh, pad of paper and uh, talk about my stress factors, uh, I like to do high intensity exercise. I like to be fifty six years old, which is kind of old for doing crazy high intensity high jumping and sprinting workouts. So those are two stress factors right there. Then, if you put into the mix that uh, I've engaged in uh, aggressive fasting over time and routinely fast for sixteen hours, sometimes more, sometimes up to twenty four, uh, but not so much in, in recent years, but have you know' have been uh, been through that, Uh, realm and played that game. Uh, I was deep into the ketogenic diet adherence for uh, at least a year when we were working on the project. We published one of the first books to go deep into the ketogenic diet for uh, mass use, and that was called the the Keto Reset Diet. It's still uh, ranked as a bestseller on Amazon, and it really is a nice comprehensive look at the ketogenic diet, with the main takeaway being that keto is a tool that can have great health and metabolic and anti-inflammatory and immune benefits, especially if you're suffering. But probably not necessary to adhere to strictly for the long term and easy to uh, possibly have it get out of hand and become yet another stress factor. So if you're talking uh, back to my own personal example of low carb, a lot of fasting, uh, high intensity exercise, and older age groups, that could be all in all too much. So now I am really appreciating Rob Wolf's message to make a deliberate effort to consume extra protein and possibly uh, not worry about extra energy consumption when I'm looking at nutrient-dense carbs and especially when I'm looking at the uh, natural nutritious fats. So for anyone, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're an NBA player who's 6'6 and weighs 182 with 5% body fat and is running up and down the court, there's no call to consume nutrient-deficient carbohydrates. I'm talking about sugary drinks and so and Starbucks and hot fudge Sundays, right? Even an athlete who's you know, lean and mean and ripped and, and performing well, uh, there's an, a, an additional need or an increased need for nutrient-dense foods to help with recovery and performance. So uh, there's no more hall passes. There's no more uh, cards to play to you get to uh, consume more uh, junk food because you have a six-pack. So we'll put that uh, to rest right now. And then for the rest of us, oh my gosh, of course we want to be very strict and eliminate those nutrient deficient carbohydrates that do nothing but uh, bad news in the body. Uh, But going and consuming all that you need and all that you desire of nutrient-dense meals, regardless of their macronutrient profile, uh, that could be a good thing. So i am especially been experimenting with consuming extra calories uh, in and around my high-intensity workouts with the uh, stated goal of speeding my recovery and minimizing the stress impact. Um, So we know that, for example, fasting, uh, sometimes people feel alert and energized even into extended fasting periods because... The uh, stress hormones are elevated and you're uh, removing energy from uh, storage in the body. So that's a cool thing if you're trying to drop excess body fat. But if you're already elevating those same stress hormones when you do the high intensity workouts and now you're fasting until uh, noon or one or two or three, and the previous day you did a sprint workout, boy, those can really uh, cause a, a crash and burn in certain people. And I'm definitely raising my hand here because that was happening frequently and I would. I would um, conclude that the story ends with, hey, uh, high intensity sprint workout, older age group, fasting, ketogenic meals equals too much stress, too much stress hormone production and much better if I had rewind the clock and gone and downed a, a, a smoothie with a lot of calories, a lot of nutrition, even if there's bananas and mangoes in there or whatever, geez, people, come on. Um, do things right. And as Dr. Tommy Wood said, one of the great shows that I've had for the the basic uh, intro into healthy ancestral living. So go back and listen to some of those. Uh, he counsels his high performing clients, his exercising uh, athletic clients to eat as much nutrient-dense food as possible, as as they desire, right? I'm not talking about stuff in your face. Eat as much nutrient-dense food as possible until you, let's say, add a pound of body fat. And then if you add a pound of body fat that you didn't want, then you turn the dial down a little bit. Uh, But he was making the quip that I uh, repeat often where he's uh, talking about... Uh, reading a uh, a food diary from one of his clients, you know, an athletic person. And it says, breakfast, two eggs, half an avocado, and, uh, and so on, a couple slices of bacon. And he's like, come on, man, eat a real breakfast. Make it six eggs and a full avocado if you're an athlete. And that's a really important point for those athletic people. But again, I started this little riff uh, talking about the split in the road, the fork in the road, where you're either a uh, healthy metabolic function showing some signs of metabolic flexibility, or if you're in trouble, if you got bad blood and you got excess body fat, especially around the midsection of the body, we need to take corrective action. And that means uh, we need to get you good at fasting, uh, not eating so frequently and cutting out those offensive modern foods of uh, grains, sugars, and especially the refined industrial seed oils, which are now being talked about as the driving cause of insulin resistance. Not so much the uh, carbohydrate equals uh, excess carbs equals excess insulin equals uh, diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, but more that these dysfunctional uh, fat calories get integrated into your body and inhibit your ability to burn stored body fat. And that is the Uh, The driving force in the metabolic disease patterns. Dr. Kate Chanahan making a really compelling argument. Paul Saladino has also jumped on the bandwagon and really trumping this as the main focal centerpiece of cleaning up your diet is getting total restriction, lifelong elimination of these refined industrial seed oils. So these are the bottled oils that are extracted from uh, with chemical processes and high temperatures and have a lot of oxidative damage sustained even before you heat them up and uh, cause them to be more uh, reactive, free radicals. Uh, this would be canola, corn, cottonseed, soybean, the stuff you see in a bottle, and happen to see in all manner of frozen packaged and processed foods, including Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Sorry, I just lost another sponsor. Just totally offensive to think uh, of the marketing and the things that we've been deceived to integrate into uh, you know, the, the mainstream diet, these extremely popular consumer products, the various potato chips and familiar brands that still throw these industrial seed oils in there despite compelling evidence that they're leading directly to hundreds of thousands of deaths each year around the world. Oh boy. So that's my rant against industrial seed oils. A great way to close this show about Q&A and more to come because plenty more questions abound. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy focus, discipline, and resilience. The plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience, a sleek, slick, custom designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean, filtered, circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once in a while action. Get the plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit thecoldplunge.com to learn all about this sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new rebounder mini trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com. And you can't lose with their generous 30 day money back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com.